Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, page 46. In your Old Testament, page 46. And I'm going to read Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. And we'll read down to verse 12. So Exodus chapter 2, page 43. Exodus 2. And verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Please take up your Bibles again and turn back to Exodus chapter 2 and 3. Now as we get into... Uh, Exodus this evening, as is a little bit of our custom, I want you to have a think, you know, I don't want you to be dozing off uh, this evening, so have a think. Um, have you ever had that experience, experience of feeling a bit overwhelmed? 
Now, for most of us, I reckon that phrase, overwhelmed, conjures up all sorts of negative ideas, perhaps, you know, like a, a suffocating, a kind of a, a feeling of being under pressure without a way out. Perhaps, perhaps this is even you today, right now. Life just feels a bit like a tidal wave. You then look at your calendar because you know it's this kind of patch of darkness ahead. It's, it's often when there's perhaps too much going on. It feels like everything is coming at us at once. But I wonder if for any of us, you've ever been overwhelmed by something wonderful. Overwhelmed perhaps by the, the love and generosity of people towards you. Overwhelmed by a, a feeling of joy perhaps at a, a friend's wedding. But something to consider this evening. Have you ever engaged with God in a way that has meant there's been some kind of overwhelming, some kind of perhaps deeper knowledge and experience of Him? Now, I don't necessarily mean in some kind of over-ecstatic emotional experience. I know most of us are British here. You know, it might be, but instead just in a way that says, I know my God whom I serve. That's what we want, isn't it? A deeper knowledge of him. Because here in, here in Exodus, Moses has an extraordinary encounter with God, and he is overwhelmed as he meets him. And as we dig into these famous few verses, my, my prayer is that God, by his words, by his spirit, would give us a glimpse of his glory in the face of Christ that might even overwhelm us that we might be able to say, I know my God whom I serve. Now we're here at the, the end of Exodus 2, and we, we've kind of met the situation, haven't we? We know God's people, they're in slavery. We've met God's chosen instrument, a miraculously saved Moses. And we've been seeing this, this picture of God as a God who saves. If you remember, he, he multiplied Israel despite, despite slavery. He saved uh, a baby children through those midwives. He saved Moses twice from Pharaoh. He even has heard his people's groanings with the implication he's about to save them. So what kind of God is this? Who is the God who can save? And that's who we're introduced to now in Exodus, God himself. And here in the beginning, beginning of chapter 3, we're shown that this God is the God of holiness. The God of holiness. So Moses, let's be with him a bit. He's out in the wilderness, and he comes to this place called Horeb. This is the, the mountain that will be known as Sinai, the mountain of God. And this is the final step, if you remember last week, in, in Moses' exodus-shaped life. He's meeting God in the place where Israel, as a whole, later on, will meet him. And then he has this crazy moment he must have thought he was going mad. He saw a bush on fire. Now, that's probably not that unusual in the desert with dry tinder around, but this was not usual. Verse 2, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now, we all know flames consume the wood it's burning. You know, we understand that. The bush, it goes black that the fire eventually would die down, it would smolder, but not here, not today. It's a different kind of fire, that the bush is, is not burning. The fire, it's not based on the, you know, the carbon in the woods. 
This is a, a pure fire. This is a, a fire that isn't based or colored by what it's burning. It's, it's unadulterated fire. Fire not dependent on anything. It's just flame. Now we're told this is due to the, the presence of an angel of the Lord's. Now, the, the angel of the Lord is a, is a phrase that comes up in different ways uh, throughout the Old Testament, and sometimes it is simply an angel. But here, as in a few other places, it seems as if the, the writer's using the phrase to try and suggest something more. Because as the angel speaks, I don't know if you notice, God himself speaks. In verse 4, do you notice it's the Lord that sees Moses? Verse 4, again, it's God himself who calls out of the bush. So the writer, by saying the angel of the Lord, he's, he's conveying here in this most pure fire that here we have a manifestation of the presence of God. God himself. So although, although this fire is symbolic, Although this language of an angel, in a sense, is symbolic, actually here in this moment of time and place, a veil was being lifted just a little. A veil was being pulled back on the glory of God. In this bush, on this exact day, Moses was glimpsing something of God. God was present in an awesome way. He's there. He even speaks, verse 4, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He's the God of, of Moses' forefathers, verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is the living God, the God of his people, the God of promises, the God who created the earth and all that's in it. Here is God. Now, we just need to spend a moment looking with Moses at this fire. I wonder, have you ever considered who God is in himself? Because God doesn't reveal himself in this kind of extraordinary way in the form of a fire, you know, just randomly. You know, he doesn't reveal himself in random ways, like, I don't know, a leaping leopard or in an upside-down cloud on Tuesday or something. No, he, you know, he never reveals himself in ways that have no reference to who he is. No, he chose in this moment, to reveal himself in a fire. A fire that just existed, existed in purity and independence. Here we're seeing of something of who God is. Here is God showing us that he is fullness of life. Fullness of life. That fire, it was not dependent on anything else. God doesn't need anything to burn, so to speak. He is life, life from itself. There's no other source to God. No one put him together. This is nothing like ordinary. Everything we know and experience, it comes from something else, doesn't it? You know, we're born of our parents. Food is planted from seeds. I write a talk, you know, made from words that already exist on paper made from trees. And that means we are, we're always dependent on others. We're always getting life from another. We're always secondary, but not God. He is life in himself. He just burns. He has no source. He doesn't just have life. He is life. In a sense, he's life at full volume, infinite, an inexhaustible life. God is he's uncontainable. He's indiminishable. He's forever flowing outwards, an endless ocean of being, fullness. But this means 
that God is utterly pure. His fullness of life is a pure life. He's not just life, he's unadulterated life. Since he's not dependent on the wood of the bush, he is fully of himself. I know this is kind of blowing our minds. You know, we are mixed. We're influenced, aren't we, by loads of other things, our parents uh, and, and friends and, and the stuff we watch and the books we read in our mind, but also our bodies. We're, we're influenced by the stuff we eat, you know, we, so we change. We're changeable. We go up and we down. We have better days and worse days, but not God. He's not mixed. He's not changing. He's not taking from others. No, he is pure life. Life in its most wonderful form. He is most excellent, most glorious, infinite in love and goodness and truth. Anything else, anything less would mean he wasn't God. He wasn't fullness of life. He is, he's like a fire that simply is its own flame. God himself, fullness of life, purity of life. He's not like us, is he? You know, you can tell we're, we're pushing at the boundaries of the infinite here, aren't we? We're trying to understand something that's kind of impossible to understand. God, he's other, he's unique, infinite. And so in a word, what Moses was experiencing here was the holiness of God. Here was the holy God. God says as much, verse 5, the place on which you're standing is holy ground. No wonder, because the God of holiness was there. And as the, the Puritan Stephen Charnock put it, God's holiness is his beauty. Here is God, pure, full, beautiful. You know, it's so frustrating how we, we can diminish God, can't we, in our thoughts? We shrink him down to size, to a manageable kind of size. But the God of Moses, the God of the burning bush, he's not small. He's not containable. He's holy. Do you know the God whom we serve? As one writer has put it, the holiness of God is the total integrity of his being. In other words, he's saying God is whole, pure, full. But then the writer says this, to encounter him in his holiness is to be overwhelmed by God. And here we see in Moses what happens when someone encounters God's holiness. And first we're going to see that this holiness, it's a fearful holiness, a fearful holiness. God is full. He's unadulterated purity of life, whole, infinite, one. He's like a, a brilliant white light. And so no sin can come near. Nothing that is less than pure, less than good, can mix with him. You know, often I think... We, we, we think of what's pure and what's dirty, and we just kind of assume dirt will win. I don't know, you, you know, that new white sofa that you've bought, that eventually will end up dirty. Or when you, you put a sock in a white wash, a pink sock, and you, you don't think the sock's going to come out white, do you? You know the wash will go a nice shade of pink. But that's the opposite of what happens when it comes to God's. Perhaps, perhaps imagine God like the brilliant sun in our solar system, and us just trying to put it out with, with, with water from fire engines, you know. The, the sun wins. The fire burns and burns. The, the, the water goes. The heat is untouchable. And the water is gone. 
God's holiness means anything with sin, anything stained by what is less than good will not win. It's consumed. It's judged. It is a fearful holiness. That's why God appears here as a fire. Fire, it's a warning signal. Fire in the Bible is often a symbol of judgment. God is described as an all-consuming fire, like a firestorm that rages across dried forests, unstoppable, all-consuming. Fire, it, it shows us that God, in his holiness, will express himself in justice. He will pour himself out on sin in the world in judgment. He's going to rid his good world of all that has marred it, ruined it, distorted goodness, beauty, and truth. He cannot, he will not tolerate sin. It is a fearful holiness. Sorry. Now, as human beings, not surprisingly, this can feel threatening. You know, it's just like when a friend or a colleague, they throw a criticism at us. We can, we can get on the defensive. Perhaps as you're hearing of sin right now, you're, you're in a monologue. It's just starting to self-justify. Well, that doesn't include me, does it? Sin, I'm actually fine, thank you very much. Or perhaps maybe there's an anger beginning to well up. I knew this was what happened at church. We all just get beaten with sin and more sin. You know, who do you think you are? You, you don't even know who I am. Or perhaps a bit like a snake backed against the wall. There's a bit of a fearful hostility. God might be fire and holy. But if he thinks he's going to get me lying down, he's got another thing coming. But that, that's not the response of Moses, is it? Moses comes towards the burning bush and then he hears his name. The fire speaks, verse 5. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, although we're not told, we assume that's exactly what he does. As he hears these words, he does not take another step forward. He daren't. It's like realizing you, you know, you're, it, what's in front of you is boiling hot lava. He's before fearful holiness. You can imagine him dropping to his knees, ripping his sandals off. And God goes on, I'm the, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And, and this is the last straw for Moses. He realizes who is before him. And Moses, it says, hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses, he's before the holy God. And rather than getting on the defensive, Moses has a deep knowledge, not just of who God is, but of who he is. As Moses has an acute awareness of the presence of God, of his holiness, his glory, he realizes one step forward and I'm going to die. One step closer and my sin, my sin would leave me slain under the judgment of God. As he sees God's wholeness, God's holiness, this pure glorious light, so he begins to see himself. It's as if light is showing the darkness. As he sees the purity of God, his dirt, his split ways, his, his death-like actions, they all begin to press in on his conscience. Perhaps you've had that experience even just with a friend. You know, I've had that moment when you know, someone's asked me for help, and in my selfishness I've just said no. And then they ask the next person, and that person says yes. 
And there, yes, their overflowing generosity and kindness. It's like a, a hand has kind of dug into my chest and ripped out my filthy heart and just put it on display for everyone to see. The shame. How much more with God? God's single, whole, pure. Doesn't it just show us how sin's tentacles have reached every part of us? How every part of me is stained, guilty, shameful before a holy God. How I can, I can love something worthless more than God, like a, a football team or my own self-glory. How I can long for something that is wicked, like a, an illicit sexual pleasure or the, the humiliation of someone I don't like. How I can use my hands at work to exploit others, my words for hurting others with a sharp put-down. I can be proud in my heart of what is evil. How I can, I can walk past someone in need unmoved. I can hoard my money when people are hungry. I can be unthankful to God and yet demand thanks from my children. I can lie, I can cheat, be greedy, disrespectful. I expect help and give none. I say one thing and think another. I'm impatient and lack joy. I have a double-minded heart, conflicting emotions, a divided will. And God says, do not come near. Do not come near. I am fire, pure fire. It's a fearful holiness. Before God, there is no place for pride tonight. No place for self-justification. Before God, everything is laid bare. Our sins, they, they lie there out before us, visible, clear. And so we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. Without a savior, without God's intervention, we are lost, we are undone. We are people without hope in the world because when God decides to reveal his presence, to unveil completely his glory and holiness, we will face judgment, justice. The justice, the unadulterated hatred of God towards sin and wickedness. God, he's a God of holiness. And it's a fearful holiness. No wonder we're told Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look on God. If you're not a Christian here this evening, and we'll see why that matters in a moment, but have you ever considered what the God of the universe must be like? And then what that shows about you? Because Christians, they're not people who think they're good enough for God. You know, if we are, then we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. Christians are people who know that before the God of holiness, we are nothing. We are nothing but wretched sinners deserving of God's rightful judgment. Why? Because God's holiness is a fearful holiness. But there's something else going on in this passage. God isn't actually here in this bush to judge. Just notice he told Moses to stop. He warned him. God isn't here to show just his fearful holiness, but also, secondly, to show his saving holiness, his saving holiness. Because this is a passage all about how God has come close. The God of holiness has come unbelievably close. Verse 2, he's in the midst of that bush. Verse 4, he even speaks to Moses, he's that close. Moses even shields his face thinking he might look upon God. But this closeness, it's not just to Moses, and it's not just a physical closeness. God has come close in compassion. 
Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. It's a repeat of what we see, of what we saw in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 2. God has seen, God has heard, God knows. God is close, close to his people in distress. He's not left them. He's not indifferent. You know, there's nothing worse than speaking a cry of help to someone, and perhaps you've fallen over and you just need a hand up. And even though they might be physically close, to have them do nothing, it's the worst, isn't it? It's like a gulf opens up between you and them. But that's not the case with God. He has seen. He hears, he knows, and he cares enough to do something about it. Verse 8, and I have come down, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The God of fearful holiness is also the God of saving holiness. The God who cannot look upon our wickedness, the God who should judge in utter terror before whom our our sin is so obvious and horrific, it's this God who's come down. Come down to deliver, come down to save and rescue. Aren't we like the Israelites? So unworthy to hear such a word. The God of fire has said, I know your sufferings and I've come down to deliver you. Isn't that incredible? God has come close. How can that work? How can God say, do not come near, and yet also say, verse 12, you shall serve God on this mountain? You know, it's like looking at that burning bush from a different perspective. How can fire be in that bush without consuming it? How can the awesome God be in the midst of his people and yet not consume them? How can the fearfully holy God uh, be also the saving holy God? And it feels like trying to mix oil and water, doesn't it? Like we're at an impasse. God is fearfully holy. We're deeply sinful. The only answer is to keep away and for justice. But not for God. God is the God who comes close. And that's because it's only the holy God who can actually save. Now that might sound contradictory, but it's true. Only the holy God can save. Just remember the context for all of this. Chapter 2, verse 24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. This is all in the context of a covenant. God has bound himself to his people with an oath. He's committed himself to us. That means two things. Firstly, it means if God is holy, he cannot lie. If he's pure, he cannot go back on his word. He has sworn to bless his people, to be with them, to save them, for him to be their God and them to be his people, to make them blessed worshippers forever. And so he will. He has to. His holiness must be a saving holiness. But how? How? Well, secondly, his holiness means he's able to save. He's able to save since God is one, since he's pure, undivided, unadulterated life, because he is, he, he puts his whole being towards what he's going to do. He's not divided. He's not in two minds. He's not torn kind of between two character traits. It's not like his, his love is screaming uh, one way and his justice is pulling him another. No. 
the holiness of God means God's love and justice come together for us in a beautiful harmony. He can't deny one bit of him. He can't deny his justice or his love. And nor would we want him to. He is one and only God. He is absolute fullness of life. And in that, he can save us. He can bring us out of his judgment and bring us into his presence in peace. And the wonderful thing is we've actually seen and experienced this holy saving work of God. Because we know he didn't just come down to his people in the burning bush. He didn't just show himself as fire. He also showed himself in the true image of God, in humanity itself. It's in Jesus Christ, isn't it, that we see the beautiful holiness of God displayed. It's in him we see the glorious love and justice of God coming together. In Christ, in Christ as he died, that sin, that barrier to drawing near, that filth on our clothes, that shame on our soul, that was all put on him, put on him our head. He took what was ours. He took it. He was punished for it. He was stricken and forsaken by God in his fearful holiness. And as we're united to him in his life, by his spirit, well, rather than taking any more, he gives us what's his. He gives us his righteousness. It's the saving holiness of God and all, all so that the holy God might be in our midst. The fire can burn in the bush. Just think what happened on the day of Pentecost. Listen to what Luke writes. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues as of fire rested on each of them. God, the God of fire, most pure, holy, fearful fire came into their midst. That is what Christ has won. God dwelling in us. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because God has come to us, we can come to him. And we do not come in fear, but in confidence. We come because God in his wisdom made a covenant with his son, a covenant that he would save for him a people, which he then promised to Abraham. And so his full, beautiful, undivided holiness, it's worked for our salvation and for our good. God has brought us close. Us, you and me, sinners like us, undeserving. And yet in Christ's name, covered in his righteousness, we can know God. This is overwhelming grace. It's a tide of love that we can never comprehend. A grace and love that we're going to be singing about for many, many years to come. This is the God whom we serve. And just to finish, it's also a grace that that deeply helps us in our present. As we face moments that seem exhausting, seasons of life that seem to overwhelm, 
and load of pressure upon us that we can't seem to bear. May we remember and know and be overwhelmed by a God of holiness. May his glorious life fill our hearts so that we know he is working all things for our good. Not a hair can fall for our heads without his goodwill. He has fully saved us from all our sin. Eternal life is ours. And so, even in the difficulties, and they are difficulties, we can know we can, we can never be totally overwhelmed. Sin and the world, it cannot win. Why? Because there is a loving, faithful God who has set his heart upon us. He has set his holy fire not to consume us, but to save us. That is good news, isn't it? Amen.